Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I am a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of our show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort for Alzheimer's disease. Now, just a quick word on Alzheimer's disease. It's a serious mental disorder. It can't be cured. It can't be prevented. And neither does it yet have a fully effective and reliable way of slowing its progress. It harms the person's ability to understand, to remember, to communicate, and those things, of course, undermine everything the person does. It undermines or harms the person's emotions. It harms their behavior, which sometimes can become aggressive. And it comes on as we age. And because our population in North America is aging, more and more of us are getting Alzheimer's disease, which is very worrying to all of us and to the healthcare system, which is going to be very stressed, all of which is why family caregiving is becoming more and more important, which is why caregiver support programs of one form or another are becoming more and more important, and it's why I'm welcoming today Laurie LaBay as my guest, who's going to talk to us about an important way forward with these things. Now, Laurie herself, she describes herself as a driver of change. She set for herself her mission of shifting society's negative perception, perceptions of aging and illness. She specializes in the psychosocial aspects of Alzheimer's disease and memory loss. And she believes that by removing the fear, embarrassment, and judgment that together cripple our relationships, we can enhance our connections with the people we love and care for. On her blog, alzheimerspeaks.com, she provides a resource directory along with links to her YouTube channel and more besides. Um, Her business includes guiding businesses, organizations, and individuals on how to improve service delivery and enhance relationships between persons with Alzheimer's disease and professional and family caregivers. She is a professional speaker and a consultant on shifting business culture towards providing personalized training to organizations and groups. So, Laurie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be with you. Thank you. 
Right. Now we're going to straight, go straight to work. Laurie, just please tell us more about the work you do. Well, I call myself an advocate on steroids for caregiving and, and especially Alzheimer's disease because I've been living with it through my mother's journey of 30 years. And I, uh, it has totally changed my life because what I found was that there weren't the resources to, uh, for me as an adult child to get me through this on an emotional basis. There's lots of research, there's lots of statistics, there's lots of this is what the disease is, but there was nothing out there telling me, you know, how to cope with it and what is right and what is wrong in terms of giving care because it's such a, a strange disease. You know, the saying is once you meet a caregiver or once you meet someone with Alzheimer's disease, you've met one person with Alzheimer's disease because it changes from moment to moment, and so you never kind of know what's coming next. And so for me, I just found that I needed more resources, and the more I talked to others, I found others felt the same way too. They just wanted to know, how do we survive this disease? How do we live with it? Because like you said, it's not going away. There is no cure. And the numbers are growing, and it is a disease not of one, but I, I view it as um, a disease of the masses. It's like throwing a pebble into the lake, and that one person that you toss into the lake just ripples and affects so many people. And so we've got to start talking about this disease honestly. We have to talk about all of the emotions. And so I now speak and train and have a resource website, the blog, the radio show, and I'm just kind of nuts on it because I, I just I feel like this is what I was born to do. This needs to be changed. All right. That's a very, very powerful story. You mentioned your mother has Alzheimer's disease. Please just say a little bit more about your own personal experience with that aspect of family caregiving with your own mother. Sure. Well, I'm 52, and like I said, I've been living with this for 30 years now. So that's more than half of my life, and I think that that is going to become a common denominator amongst people dealing with this disease, especially with early diagnosis. And I credit one of the reasons my mom is still alive is because of some of the choices that were made in terms of her care um, that really weren't regarding the drugs, but they were regarded as her, her social base, you know, her influence of peers. Um, she's been in a nursing home for 10 years. It's not something I ever wanted to do, um, but it was truly the right decision, and it was my mother's choice. She was very adamant that she wanted to move into the nursing home <clears throat> when she was still in her early stages because my dad ended up having to go in due to some brain cancer that, you know, at, at the very end of his life. And she woke up one morning very clear, even though we had done all the family planning, in terms of she was going to live with us, and, you know, we, we had sorted all that stuff out, and she said, I want to move to the nursing home. And I said, but that's not the plan. And she said, I don't care. I've been with your dad for 49 and a half years, and I'm not leaving him now. And to me, that was such a huge revelation because so much of the time we, we push through and we do things because our brain is telling us that is the logical thing to do. And we forget about the heart and soul of the person we're dealing with and what is really important and what is at the base of all our relationships. Yeah. Now, people, when they call you and they connect with you via your blog, Alzheimer's Speaks, 
What are those people looking for, Laurie? They are really looking for um, emotional support and guidance. They're looking for hope. So many of them have just lost hope. Many of them are just on the brink. And it's so sad because, again, this disease is pushed by fear. And we have to get better as a society. You know, I always say that there's three things that people remember. We remember what saddens us, what scares us, and what brings us joy. And we will find whatever we look for. And so much of the time with a, with a chronic illness like Alzheimer's disease, people focus on what is lost, and they no longer focus on what is still with them. And so that's all they're going to see. That's all they're going to feel. But if you can make that shift, like I've been able to do, um, it's incredible because you find joy in places you never saw it before because it wasn't big enough. It wasn't beautiful enough. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a keeping up with the Joneses type thing that that's how we live in this world. It was about the simple things like a glint in the eye, a giggle, a touch, a smile. And those things are so precious. And it just makes you look at your whole life so differently. So there's really some gifts wrapped in this disease, but it's learning to teach people um, and train them on what it is they're looking for and to let go of perfection, let go of judgment, and stop worrying about what other people think. Sorry, we're going to be talking a lot more about that with you on those particular things you've been saying, but I just want to stay with your own experience for a moment. Um, you presumably didn't find something equivalent to Alzheimer's speak when you were first looking for your mom. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Now, obviously, it was that experience, because you've already said so, that led you, among other things, to set up Alzheimer's Speaks. Now, I'm just going to say something back to you, a quick piece of feedback. Mm-hmm. More, more and more, over and over again, I've heard on this show how people who've w- taken the road, who've walked down the road of family caregiving, have discovered something which helped them, and then it's as, it's as though they stop, look over their shoulders, and see somebody else, some other family caregivers, starting out on that road, and then they reach out to share with them the experience, the things that they, the people who've been through or further down the road, the things that have actually helped. Now, am I right in saying back to you that that's really the spirit that lies behind the work you're doing. Am I right in saying Totally. It's about connecting with people. It's about collaboration. It's about defining what is working and passing it on. You know, when you, when you have a problem before you, you know, I used to go down the rabbit hole too and spin and go, oh, woe is me and life is awful and blah, blah, blah. And now instead I say, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? What's the lesson? And once I learn what the lesson is, and the next step is to share it with others. And to me, there's this, this huge, like, groundswell of the, of the world really coming together now with the Internet going, it's time to share, it's time to help, it's time to support one another. We don't need a lot of fancy things to get things done and a lot of bureaucracy, which is proven all over the world, is not doing the best job um, to meet the needs. And we can do a lot of things together 
so efficiently and so compassionately that it's just, I just find it it's just exhilarating. Yeah. And back to your world of the Internet, you're using this, some people would call it social networking, as a way of linking yourself and your experience with other people who are traveling the road. But I imagine you're also using it, and this is my question to you, for people who are wanting to link together themselves because they, too, are traveling this road and would like to share their own experiences. Is that right? Definitely, definitely. In fact, the the Memory Cafe, we just brought the first one, which is a, um, a United Kingdom concept. We brought the first one over to America um, just this last month. And it was so exciting because, again, the U.K. just handed over all their documentation. They gave us the name, and they didn't want anything. The only thing that they wanted was to still to continue support and help us. And to me, it was like, what an incredible gesture. What a statement. What, what a vision, you know. And so we opened it up, and, you know, hopefully we build it. They will come type concept. But we have so much interest. Other people are interested in taking that model and opening up, you know, more. And, again, it's not a for-profit thing. It's all about the motivation of the greater good, of truly helping and meeting the need. Laurie, please give me the name again of that that you've just brought in from the U.K. What's it called again? Um, They call them the Memory Cafes in the U.K. Ours is called J. Arthur's Memory Cafe. And just, we've only a few seconds, um, but you will have another chance, I promise. What exactly happens at the cafe? It's a social support group for both people that are dealing with early memory loss and their caregivers. And just to come together and, and get to know one another, be able to build friendships and have a peer support group and have some fun and laugh and be normal and, and learn to live with the disease instead of the disease driving you and defining you as who you are, be it a caregiver or a person with a diagnosis. It's about getting back to life. Perfect. Now, I'm going to stop there because it is time for us to take the break. We have to pay the rent. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Adler, and my guest is Laurie Labay. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back to continue this important, vital interesting, powerful discussion. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. 
autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope through education and conversation. There is hope. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay. Our topic is shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort for Alzheimer's disease. So let's now talk about the challenges of Alzheimer's disease. So Laurie, over to you. Please tell us about the challenges that Alzheimer's disease creates for family caregivers. All right, Laurie, please. Okay. I would say, you know, one of the biggest ones is, you know, how do I deal with this? We don't have, we're not educated at all in terms of how to deal with this disease. You walk into the doctor, they give you a diagnosis, and they say, call the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Foundation, and that's it. And so there really aren't any, there's not a, you know, Alzheimer's disease for dummies book out there, (laughs) 101. Um, though there are a lot more books coming. But I think time and money are crucial because typically when this hits, it, uh, it does hit the pocketbook, both in cost and then sometimes people are no longer able to work. Um, health benefits, all of those things, medications all come into play. So it can turn somebody's life upside down. But the big factor that I see is this emotional drain of people, again, not knowing where to go, what to do, or how to do it. And so it emotionally drains them as a caregiver and as a patient because everybody's worried about everything. And there becomes this disconnect on how to make it all work. Then you add on to that the judgment and the fear 
that society puts on us of doing the right thing. What is the right thing? You know, we always talk about the normal family. What is the normal family? There is no normal. <laughs> you know, everybody is different and unique. And, and so the challenges are really emotionally based. They're very much heart-strung. And when we get stressed like that, then it causes complications on our own health. Um, as caregivers and as patients that can just, you know, multiply things. So it's really important to be able to calm ourselves down and know that we're not alone. Just knowing that you're not alone. Don't give up in terms of making those connections because they are out there and they are powerful and supportive. Um, so I would say those are really the biggest challenges. Who do, who do I talk to? Who can I just vent? Who will understand? Because a lot of times friends and family don't understand. And doctors cost money and don't really have time, and many of them don't have the resources either. Perfectly fair. That's perfectly fair. Now, I'm going to just carry on with this same theme. Please tell us some real-life stories uh, obviously, we don't want names. We don't want you to identify anybody or any family. But please tell us about the experiences family caregivers you work with and when they're coping with the kind of challenges you've just been talking about. Okay, I'm going to give you the example of Sherry. And Sherry was going to be on the show today and couldn't make it. And she is just a perfect example because Sherry contacted me through the blog and she used an alias. And using an alias is pretty common because people don't want to be known because they're embarrassed or they're afraid family might recognize them. And many times they don't get along with um, siblings or aunts and uncles or parents or whatever it is that they're dealing with in terms of family dynamics. So that is one. Sherry's story was one where she was the primary caregiver had to step out because of her own health issues, and when she came back into the role, her mom had really digressed. So her mom was really in her end stages and in the fetal position and really did not communicate. Um, they were not a family that was, um, you know, huggy-touchy. Um, they didn't really state their feelings. And Sherry wanted so badly to communicate with her mom, but she didn't know how. And so we went back and forth by emails talked on the phone, and I directed her to a site called The Memory Bridge, which is Naomi File, who does the validation system. Um, And she has one particular video called Gladys, I want to say is the name of the woman, where she pulls this woman out who is totally non-responsive, who Naomi has never met before, and within minutes, I mean like two or three minutes, she has this woman engaged. And so I I instructed Sherry to watch this video on what to do and to go talk with her mom and tell her, not worry about what her mom's response was going to be, but at this point it was about Sherry feeling good. So when her mom did pass, she knew she said everything she had to say. And so she crawled in bed with her mom and held her face the way I told her to and the way Naomi showed her to. And I'll never forget, I was at a conference, and I came home that night um, to my hotel, and I couldn't wait to open up my email, and there was an email from Sherry, and I read it, and I bawled, because she said it worked, it worked, she cooed like a baby, and she moved. She couldn't 
tell me any words, but she responded. And again, caregiving is all about our relationships and what do we want them to be like and what is important. And it's it's helping people connect again. Yeah. Laurie, that, first of all, is a very powerful story. And I was sorry that Sherry wasn't able to join us because um, she has a as you've just made clear, a very important and powerful story to tell. So all good wishes to Sherry, and uh, may she remain strong. Now, Laurie, I want to come to your work in a particular way. Mm-hmm. You see, a crisis is obviously a severe challenge. So what I want to know is, what do you mean by crisis when you're speaking of shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort? What's the crisis part? The crisis part is really, it's the emotional breakdown of our relationships. It's the the overwhelming, the the sense of wanting to give up. It's the sense of being alone. And, And it's horrible. And people feel it both on the caregiver side and on the care receiving side because we don't communicate properly. We're so worried about our feelings. We're so worried about offending people. Uh, and so it, it is, it's an epidemic out there. And we have to get people to understand that caregiving truly is a natural state. But most of us think of all the challenges that we just talked about, and they view caregiving as this crisis. They don't view it as, you know, a mother giving birth and at the beginning of, you know, of the child's life or even before that, because I believe we're caregivers from the moment we're conceived. And people go, well, how can that be? Well, I ask the question, Ben, how many bellies have you patted or tummies have you talked to? Yes. Because relationships are much deeper than words. Yeah. And they start intrinsically, and they go until death, and I believe even after death. I know I still communicate with my dad. You know, I have a God that I pray to. Um, so there's there's lots of different levels there. So it's you know how seriously are you going to take this? We give care day in and day out to every person we encounter, even if that person is on the other side of the street. As we walk by, we consciously choose: Are we going to give them eye contact? Are we going to smile? Are we going to say hi? Are we going to snub them? You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to act? Those are all levels of care. And once we can accept that we have a conscious um, choice in terms of how we are going to be and how we are going to act with people and we get back to the root of the relationship, it takes a lot of that crisis mode away. And it brings, if I've understood you right, taking the crisis away brings its own joy, reward, response, even though the response from a person with Alzheimer's disease may not be all that understandable at the particular moment. Now, again, have I got that right? Yes, and the thing is, is when you, when we let control, when we let go of control, which is one of the biggest things that we do as a caregiver that causes us all this conflict, is we have our checklist because we have to get this done and this done and this done and this done, and not that those things are not important. But, you know, a person really typically doesn't care if they get their pill at 3 or at 4 unless it's pain-related. They care about how do you deliver it, how do you interact with them. 
that's what the person who you're caring for cares about. Yeah. It's not it's not the task you're doing. But as caregivers, we feel in control when we can check those things off our list. And once you can get to the spot where it isn't about the task and you start focusing really on the relationship, you're able to prioritize things so much easier. You're able to give up control. You're you're able to ask for help and receive help in giving the care. This is coming from a major control freak here (laughs) that struggled with that. And because of that, I had two brothers that kind of took the back seat. Now, part of that, you know, people will say, well, every family's got one, you know, that's in charge. And that's true. Most families, there is one person that will step up and take control. But there's a fine line between control um, in a healthy fashion and one that's not. And I didn't recognize that until after my dad died, which was too bad. Um, because what I found was after my dad died, I had all of these great stories that my brothers didn't have. And it made me realize because of my need to control and protect, um, that pushed my brothers away. And I won't take all the responsibility because it was much easier for them to stay away too. (laughs) And it made their life easier not having to deal with it. But they lost out on so much, and it made me realize how much my dad lost. Because, and it made me realize that I'm not all that. And nobody, you know, no matter how great I think I am, nobody wants to be around me 24/7. Heck, I don't want to be around me 24/7. You know, and so it really is that you know, variety is the spice of life, and it's not about how and when a task gets done. You know, it's not about the structure of of the procedure. It's about the delivery of the service. Right. And it's not about the time that you took or that you delivered it on time. Uh, It's about the result that you achieve by delivering it, both with the person who receives it and with the result for you as a person. Exactly. A a simple... um, a simple uh, example of that would be I would have loved, I would have just loved to have gone to lunch with my dad and mom, but instead I orchestrated it. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just going with the flow. That's a very good word, orchestrate. That, <laughs> that, that exactly describes exactly that sense of wanting to control so that everything runs to time, like the trains and all the rest of it. But life isn't always that way. Now, we're going to come back to this. We're not letting go of this particular topic, um, Laurie, because it's a vital one. But it is time for us to take the short break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Laurie Labay. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. Uh, we will be coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Is your computer making your life easier or more of a headache? Are you using all of the tools to make your life more productive and less of a stress? You need to listen to the Microsoft Princess Insider with Melanie Goss, dubbed the Microsoft Princess. Melanie has been a certified expert in all things Microsoft since 1998, and her expertise will have you taking back control of your life and letting your computer handle the efficiency of day-to-day projects. The Microsoft Princess Insider airs live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay. Our topic is shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort for Alzheimer's disease. Um, Now, we were talking a moment ago, Laurie, about what the idea of crisis was. Now I want you to talk more about what the idea of is of comfort, that is, the something that crisis can be shifted to. So that's what I want to talk about. So let's, let me start this way, Laurie. How do you describe comfort to family caregivers coping with challenges of the kind that you've been talking about? Comfort to me is a calming, relaxed state of acceptance, one that allows you to be spontaneous and joyful and get back to fun. Because one of the things that I have found um, that I don't care anybody who is ill, you can ask them, what do they want? You know, what do they want most? And they want things to be normal. And when you break down what is normal, normal is laughing. Normal is interacting. Normal is having true two-way connections. And we lose that. And so it's all about finding this peace within yourself and within the situation. Now, I want to pursue you a little bit further on that idea of comfort because it focuses on something else, and which is how do people to whom you're talking about this 
interpret it for themselves. You explain it, I understand it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I can equate it to myself. I know I'm being difficult with this question, but please say more about what comfort actually means to family caregivers mm-hmm. when you've had this conversation with them. You know, it really is, it gets down to accepting what's before you and, and not feeling like you have to change it, not feeling like you have to, um, I don't know, this probably isn't the best word, because we, as caregivers, one of our main job descriptions or roles we feel is to protect that person and and we want to protect them, and that is a good role, but sometimes we get into this protective mode where we think we can change what we can't because we're not that powerful, and there aren't cures. And so it's really, I think for most families, it's learning to be able to accept what is before them and forge forward in terms of... Um, their relationship, whatever that once was, whatever they want it to be, whatever it is today, they have to choose which of those planes do you want to be on. You know, some people will say, well, I never had a good relationship with my spouse or my or my um, parents or my brother and sister, whoever they're taking care of. It doesn't make any difference. Well, okay, is, is that what you want going forward? Because if you do, hold on to it and you got it. Or do you want to shift that and say, you know what, time is short. Let's make it better than what it was because there's a conscious choice. But until you accept what is really before you, you can't move forward no matter which direction, no matter which path you want to go on. Yeah. And, and so it's accepting what you truly have control over, which is only yourself. Because we can't change, as we know, we can't change anybody but ourselves. And changing ourselves isn't that easy all the time either, (laughs) even when we want, when we think we want it, you know. So when you can get to that point of just saying, this is what is, how do we make the best of it now? Yeah. Laurie, this, too, is very profound. Let me ask you a question again that flows from this. Um, This what you're talking about also involve accepting that the situation that the loved one is in, this condition, this Alzheimer's disease, isn't something that we can change or that can be changed in itself, that that's something that we have to accept. Is that, first of all, am I right in interpreting you that way? And if so, is that the correct message in relation to our own aspirations for being helpful, comforting, and caring for our family members with this condition. Yeah, I, I think it is. I would like to put one caveat in there, and that is, um, and, and this just drives me bananas, but we have to be really careful with this disease. There's many different ways that people want to categorize it and stage it from four levels to seven levels, and I've heard 11 levels. You know, there's all these different stages. And if there is one thing that I have learned very strongly in my 30 years is just because you are in one stage right now doesn't mean five minutes from now you're not going to be in another stage. This disease ebbs and flows. 
So stop saying goodbye and giving up and preparing for the end when you have no idea how much life is before you. Quick remark back to you. That's brilliant. That's saying you've got to accept as a caregiver that it's unpredictable. Oh, totally. Yeah, very, very powerful. We'll come back to that, I hope, in in a moment. Now, another question to you, still on the seeking comfort. Would family caregivers who are seeking comfort in the way that you've just described, would they ever feel that they were being selfish in seeking comfort for themselves? And if they were to feel that way, what would you say to them and why would you say it? Well, first of all, I'd say, knock it off. (laughs) (laughs) And second of all, I'd say, I totally understand because been there, done that. Um, And what we all have within us is this inner critic that beats us up and we project all this judgment coming from others. And sometimes it's true, but many times it's not. And we, we all have to stop trying to keep up, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. What is expected of me? You know, we have, we have to stop. We have to stop worrying about what others think and we have to get back to what's heartfelt and what we feel is truly right when we're dealing with people. Um, there are some questions that I ask myself um, that really help with that. And one of, one of the things I think we also have to realize is that no is an okay word. And as a caregiver, especially if someone is, um, you know, if you're dealing with someone who's chronically ill and, you know, they're not going to be around forever, we have a really hard time saying no. But no is okay. No is normal and it's respectful and you cannot give good care to someone else if you don't, if you don't take good care of yourself first because you are not going to have the energy and the wherewithal to do what needs to be done for them. So I ask myself some questions nowadays, um, and this is what they are. What do I want to do for blank, um, and why am I motivated by love, fear, or guilt? That one's a really eye-opener. Am I doing what I'm doing because it's expected of me? Is it what I really want to give of myself? Does doing this feel right to me? Will doing this make me feel good and why? And my favorite and most um, useful question is, am I putting more effort into this than they are? Because a lot of times we get frustrated as a caregiver because we're taking everything on. And a good example here would be like with a small child when they're learning to make their bed. All four corners don't have to be square. We're just thrilled the quilt got tossed over the bed. <laughs> she got pulled up because they're, they're getting the standard. But it's not about being perfect. Perfect can only happen once. It is not a repeatable act. It is something you can shoot for to surpass. But everything in life changes, so there's no way you can recreate what was. And so we have to realize that Things aren't going to be perfect all the time. Again, it's letting go of control. And it's realizing that as a caregiver, you not only have the right, but you have the need to be filled from your, from your toes to your soul. Yeah. 
That's a very, very good way of putting it. Now, what you've been talking to us about, I think it, this is right, isn't it? Uh, these are the methods that you use to help family caregivers to shift from crisis to comfort. Correct. Right. Now, it is t that time again where we do have to take the break. Time goes very quickly. But we're coming back to talk about some broader things, about how the kinds of things you're talking about, or either the kind of things you do, uh, can be made more widely available. But we'll come to that in a moment. So let's take this break. This is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guest is Laurie LaBay. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. What does the new health care law mean to you? Why is the country facing a deepening deficit? Can it be reversed? If education is important to fund, shouldn't we insist on seeing results? Do we have a workable energy policy? Who's calling the shots? Tune in to In the Public Interest with host Mike Hudson. We'll cover public policy, everything from taxes and spending to health care and other threatened entitlements. If it's in the public interest, it's in your interest to know. In the Public Interest can be heard live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Appalachian Knowledge Economy is a program that explores community development and civic engagement throughout the Appalachian community. Such advancements as rural broadband deployment, sustainable development, and economic forward thinking has moved this region to the forefront of our country's technology and knowledge base. Listen for the Appalachian Knowledge Economy with host Joan Miner every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay. Our topic is shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort for Alzheimer's disease. Now, let's now talk about how well people understand the value of shifting from crisis to comfort for family caregivers, and what more needs to be done to promote better understanding. So first of all, Laurie, how well do community-based professionals, such as nurses and, as I was, physicians, and how well do they understand the idea of shifting from crisis to comfort and what this really means for family caregivers? Laurie? I, I honestly don't think that the majority of them get it. I think um, people on the front line, I, I think the nurses probably see it much more so than the, than the majority of the doctors, which is sad to say. Um, but part of that has to do with, you know, the timing. I mean, you've got 10 minutes with them, and it's in and out, and it's kind of a cattle prod type process. 
And so they deliver diagnosis and move on and order tests. And, you know, it's just kind of a quick, quick, quick thing. And they're not emotionally based, most of them, to kind of dig into that. Um, and so that makes it difficult. To me, one of the biggest problems we have is, and, and this is something on my to-do, my personal to-do list, is to get the, the medical and the healthcare professionals to be bilingual. And when I say bilingual, I'm not talking about speaking, um, you know, Spanish or whatever. I'm talking about they've got to learn to get away from their medical terminology and in interpreting everything as such. A prime example of that um, I will use with um, the Memory Cafe. We, um, we are stating that, you know, our memory cafe is for people with early memory loss. And people with a clinical background say, well, early onset is really for people 65 and under. So is it just for 65 and under? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's for people with early memory loss that can still engage in a social environment. And they want to keep going back to these clinical definitions. They want to be able to categorize somebody. And I said, no, that is not what the group is about. This is not about living within a categorized spectrum of, of the disease and this person, you know, formulating their, their life that, you know, I'm stage three. You know, that's not what it's about. It's about being a full, purposeful person who can still interact and still engage with peers and, and people and develop friendships, just like having, you know, if you're going bowling into a bridge club, you know, we don't, we don't really care if somebody can play really good or bad. We go for the fun. We go for the camaraderie. And I think the, clini the clinicians really need to, I, I, you know, all of their terms are important, and I, I don't mean to dismiss them, but we have got to communicate better, and I'm telling you, we're not going to be able to ever educate the general public to use their terms and their definitions because they're constantly changing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so we really we got to dumb it down and just say, what are they going through? What makes sense to them on a daily basis? And I think we really have to start teaching and training people on uh, educating them really on an emotional-based and an emotional-charged format because when people feel it, they remember it. Now, I, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you before, but in relation to family caregivers and the wider public, how well do they understand the idea of shifting from crisis to comfort and what all of that shifting really means for family caregivers? All right, what do you think? I think the public really gets this. And I think, like I said before, there is a groundswell and there is a movement that is coming hard and fast. And Alzheimer's disease, I'm telling you, is here to teach the world to live differently. Because the people now that are getting diagnosed with early, uh, early onset are still driving cars and working and you know, some of them, you know, may have to give up their jobs too, but they are engaged. They're on that computer. They are networking. They are, they are doing such fabulous 
work. They are true workhorses, and they are saying things must change. And they are seeing the effect that their disease is having on their loved ones and saying, my my family needs help. My caregivers need help. I don't even care about me. Support them. I mean, it, it's huge out there. We've got Rick Phelps, who's created Memory People, which is a group on Facebook. He's 57 years old. He has early onset, and he has an incredible support group for people with early memory loss, caregivers, professionals, and advocates. And, it, you know, it's not about pitching a service. It's about true interaction. Um, you can be on there 24 hours a day, and someone around the world will respond. And they are just helping one another, guiding one another with what's working or just listening. It, it's amazing. You've got Dr. Richard Taylor out there who's from Texas who has been dealing with memory problems for seven years who is out speaking, and he is doing some fabulous things. And Norm McNamara over in the U.K. has started Dementia um, Awareness Day, September 17th, and at last count when I talked to him, he had over 11,000 followers. This thing is getting huge. It was going to just be a UK event, and now it's spread around the world. And again, it's bubbling. The public gets it, and they're not sitting still anymore. Right. Now, you've answered my next question, which was going to be what is being done and what more needs to be done, because what you've just said is describing the way in which the public gets it, the public communicates, the public includes people who unfortunately are starting down the road, not just of family caregiving, but down the road of being affected with what's called early onset of this disease. Um, They're all working together in their ways to deliver, I would think, a shifting from crisis to comfort. Now, I'm just going to make a comment to you um, in, in closing, because unfortunately we, we do have to close in a moment. <laughs> but first of all, I just want to say to you, you're, I've been looking at the research, because some of that's my background, and what's changing is an understanding of how people with Alzheimer's disease respond to things that are part of normal life. For example, pain. Somebody with Alzheimer's Alzheimer's disease may not be able to say to the family or the doctor, it hurts, whatever it it is, because they can't do that. Instead, they may writhe or they may howl or scream or they may roll about. But once that's understood by the family caregiver, then it's a signal that my loved one is in pain. Now, the opposite of that is when people with Alzheimer's disease are enjoying themselves and being happy, they have ways of showing it too, which the family caregiver also understands. And a very quick story, because I'm running out of time. On this show, here was a couple. The man takes his wife, who's got Alzheimer's disease, dancing, because that's what they used to do as childhood sweethearts. And he called me after the show, and he said, my wife and I were listening to the broadcast, And when we got to the bit about me talking about us being childhood sweethearts, she snuggled up to him. And that's the sort of joy that you're talking about. That's the moment of joy that your methods, your way of thinking, brings to people. And what I'm saying back to you, I think 
there's evidence now that what you're doing is fundamental to the care of diseases like Alzheimer's. Now, I want to say, first of all, thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with comments and questions. I'm not just saying thank you to Laurie. I'm saying, Laurie, please keep it up. Please go on doing what you're doing because it's important to everyone. It's important to the people you're providing this service to. It's important to the people who are caring for others. And it's also important for exactly the reason you said. That is, it's part of a wave that says, by behaving and understanding the people who we're behaving with as family caregivers who've got this disease, we can not only help them but also help us move from crisis to comfort. So it's powerful, it's valuable, and I wish you every success. And if I can ever help you again on this show, well, let's talk about it. Now, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the work of community health centers in helping family caregivers. Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.